podcast is a part of Dear Asian Youth, a youth-led magazine aimed towards Asian activism for Asian youth by Asian youth. Follow us on all platforms, Instagram, Twitter, etc. at Dear Asian Youth and at Dear Asian Girl to get updates on all the latest articles, poetry and prose, podcasts, campaigns, and more. Dear Asian Girl, a podcast dedicated to uplift and share Asian girl stories everywhere. Today we'll be talking about Asian fetishization, yellow fever, and more with Joyce. Hello everyone, Um, I'm here with Alina today, and we're going to be talking about such a heavy topic, Um, not heavy, but just like really, really crazy topic that I Mm -hmm. think every Asian woman has dealt with sometime in her life or sometime in her career or anything, and it's Asian fetishization. Oh my goodness, even in high school, um, there's always been white boys yeah. that have, like, not, I'm not saying they fetishize me, I, it's, luckily I had that privilege where, like, it isn't too bad, but I've definitely had those experiences where I've come in and, like, oh my, oh my goodness, okay, wait, okay, I don't want to, like, call out names, I pray to God, I pray to God he isn't listening, because I'd be so, oh my God, I'd be, like, R.I.P., you know, but basically, oh, no. oh my God, literally freshman year Um, I had this guy in like three of my classes and okay he's the type of guy that's like obsessed with like World War One World War Two like like, the specific niche kid that typical stereotype kid yeah I know and so um, I had him in like three of my classes he was in my English class he was in my math class and then he was like in my no I don't know if he was he was in my science class and I sat next to him one like a few times and he would just like follow me around saying like he had a thing for asians like no. he, like why would you say yes. that like that's not oh my gosh and literally like okay wait this is another time it was like sophomore year i like walked out and like the thing is about my health class we have like two different sides and so like yeah. i walk out the door and he like literally i turn to the right and no. he's like right in front of me asking me how i am asking me like um what type of Filipino food do I eat? Like, it, it was so crazy. And, like, I would, like, walk out, and I would, like, go up the stairs, and he would still talk to me, asking me, like, how, I'm, how I am, how I'm doing. And it's not just me, though. Like, literally all the Asian girls that, I, that are in my school and community, they like, too. yeah, they literally had mm. this dude, like, follow him follow them around and he's like in Mun and something he's in Mun, and he just like followed my friend like for like a good 30 minutes and like he stares oh at you really creepily like it's oh my gosh no and that no. scares the fuck out and of he me. really I oh my gosh and there's like also an Asian club at my school and he like oh goes God. to the club Wait, wait, what did you say? Did he join it? Yeah, he joined the club. What the? Wait, and, actually? And he's not Asian. Is and he, he's not Asian. He's white, right? Yeah, he's white. The and then another thing is, um, there's like a ramen shop in our little town area, and he asked yeah. for a job, so he's like obsessed with like, I mean, it's good, I don't even know if it's like him appreciating it or him fetishizing it, but like, yeah, that's my personal experience. Um, that's... I'm oh, like in shock. Oh like, my gosh. And then there was another time it was me and all my friends and we were like okay, so we like I work at this my local radio station and we like ooh. went to sleep like there we went to we like we basically hung out like overnight at school like raising money for the radio station. She was she was talking about Japan 
and how she was yeah. obsessed with it and like she loved the culture but like and she was sort of like I oh my goodness I have a thing for Asian women like they're so exotic and, yeah and like it was so awkward because I was just sitting there and she she was like oh are you Asian I was like yeah. <laughs> like, what do you think? Yeah, what like, do you think? <laughs> and so then I ended up like hiding away for like the rest of yeah. the day. It was so bad. It was so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I've never had so the school that I go to, I live in for context, Idaho and part time in Utah, but I grew up in Idaho, so obviously it's a very ethnically homogenous um community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like one of the only Asian people in my school or brown person even in my school like it was just all white people and um so I didn't have like like any other Asian people part of my school who would go through like the same things with me in regards to like people uh, hypersexualizing Asian women um but for my experience I haven't had anything super like ex- like kind of out there and like someone really like clearly like fetishizing me but I've had, like, on a smaller scale, like, comments and shit that's, like, kind of put me mm-hmm. off, like, in a weird way. Yeah. And it's, like, kind of bad that we both, like, kind of overlook this and be like, oh, like, well, it could be worse, you know? Like, we could just die because of a hate crime yeah. because of this, like, fetishization. Mm-hmm. Um, like, but anyway, so it started, like, the first time was, this was two years ago. I'm not going to say this guy's name, even though I really want to say his name. I know. He's still, like, he's, like, a family friend. And he's like he's a white guy right obviously um and like we were like kind of flirting a little bit like he seemed he seemed normal to me right yeah. he seemed normal but then he would say shit like oh my beautiful asian woman or like my beautiful mm. pakistani woman I'm no like, he actually like, said that yeah yeah no. like, maybe it's just me but like red flag like, red like, flag yeah yeah right and i thought like at first i didn't think of anything of it because like i mean being Pakistani is part of my like identity but it's not like my entire like being like there's so much more to me than just like my like like my race Mm -hmm. and it was just weird because just the fact that he would like he would always just bring it up my like race and like we weren't dating or anything like we were just like flirting whatever and like I don't know maybe it's like maybe it's not that big of a deal like maybe it's just he was making a comment but like Mm -hmm. that's like definitely a smaller scale of like fetishizing Asian women because, like, it's just, I feel like it's a way of, like, I guess covering up your racism and making it a form of sexualizing someone to, like, pass. You know what I mean? I don't know mm-hmm. if that makes sense. But, like, it was, that was just my first experience with it. And then my second experience, the first guy that I dated, oh, my God, people are going to know who this is I'm talking about. Ooh, <laughs> um, spill, spill. Um, yeah, so he was a good friend. He's a good friend. And, like, I still appreciate him. And see, like, I need to not, like, be friends with these people. What the fuck? <laughs> but anyway, I don't think it's, a like, a fetish or anything, but I've noticed a pattern on, like, the people who this guy has dated. And little to say, like, they are Asian. The majority of them are Asian. Yes. And I don't know, I don't know his entire, like, history of who he's dated. But, like, the other per man, people are literally going to know who this guy is. Um, but it's fine. Like, I don't think it's, like, I don't think it's a fetish. I don't know. Maybe it is, but... Anyway, so I wasn't going to bring this up until you mentioned the guy who was, like, obsessed with you was obsessed with, like, World War One, And the guy who I dated was also obsessed with, like, World War One. No. And I think that, yeah, yeah. There's a definitely why, like, a sign. There, that's definitely, like, some sort of weird sign. And, like, Jen and I, obviously, we did our research, like, last minute. So we, like, yeah. looked into kind of, like, fetishizing Asian women. And we noticed that there's this 
fetish for Asian women and um specifically I think mainly like East and Southeast Asian women it comes yeah. from like the Silk Road which mm-hmm. apparently is like um is like basically wait let me open it up because I have it over here oh I can um, yeah come, go ahead yeah it comes from the Silk Road and the Silk Road was like a network of trade routes which connected East and West um Asia uh for like obviously silk and other forms of material and that was back in uh let's see uh to like from the second century bce to the 18th century that's crazy so that's like way 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 deep in like our world's um history so considering the guys who have like been weird to us and like fetishized us it's comes from their link and their obsession of like world war one and their obsession with like because the guy who i was like dating was like really obsessed with like history and shit like mm-hmm. specifically this type of stuff so i feel like that's like a red flag yeah so like, i don't know it was just like that was my experience with it, it was kind of weird it wasn't as i mentioned super like out there but yeah. it's still like a form of it i think um but yeah speaking of like world war one world war two um dear asian youth actually posted like a little thing i think yesterday and they were talking about like the history of where it really came from in terms of yellow fever and asian fetishization and like i what from i remember it was created like in world war ii and they created bases within asia and there's like a source of like sex industries so like many of asian women specifically filipinos and hawaiians because it was during the world war ii were enslaved as prostitutes for the U.S. Army, wow. and I, I remember reading that it was like fifty-five thousand um, Filipino children were created from this freaking sex industry. So you can clearly see how the Asian fetishization is constantly turned into objectifying women and not really showing them like representing who their culture is specifically. It's more they're seen as like docile and really submissive to the point where they can do these types of things and like personally like I've never had those experiences but I've definitely seen specifically predominantly in the East Asian community in which there's fetishization where their culture specifically like their their like symbols such as like their dragon tattoos or their lotus like the lotus flower like these have been turned into freaking sexual objects and like seen as like um it sort of like appropriates it in the sort of way i wouldn't say something like that and i think the abg culture is sort of a result of the yellow fever because now like there's this stereotype of the abg which girls in the east asian community don't really want to go into and that's sort of like being the stereotype of going to clubbing where like wearing like a shit ton of like makeup and tattoos and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that at all it's just like I think like the men who are appealed to those types of things sort of fetishize them as a result and I think that's what's been created out of it as sort of like a way to like I don't know yeah no I think what you said is so interesting because when we were looking at like the articles uh before this like recording we notice that there's like there's like this the thing that like sexual hypersexualizing asian women does is not only does it like create violence towards like asian women and like further perpetuates like rape culture Mm -hmm. but it also further like feeds to the idea that asian women need to like like go against the norm of being asian to be like 
cool or considered cool if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and there's this one girl i didn't think i was gonna bring this up i always say that but (laughs) so her name is like tila tequila or something and apparently she was like on a tv show but what she did was she did like the nazi like salute hail thing or whatever right at some white supremacist sort of thing and i'm pretty sure she also dated a white supremacist and has a kid with him but oh i think i don't know if i'm yeah but so yeah with like abg culture it kind of like makes so that's like Asian baby girl or gangster or something, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. So that basically goes against like the norm of what Asian women are considered to be like. And there's nothing wrong with that. I really don't like go against that. But the thing with like the girl Tila Tequila, she is like going against loving herself and being who she is to further feed to the white supremacist yeah. eyes and the white supremacist gaze, if that makes sense. And I'm glad you brought that up because I really didn't know that there was like these fucking like sex camps and shit during like the World War One. You mm-hmm. said a World War Three, yeah. World War Two, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, that's like crazy, and I think that's interesting that you bring it up because, as we mentioned, like with our experiences, the people who like fetishized us were weirdly obsessed with like World War like Two and shit. Like, ah, that's like weird to me. Like, that's... is that not weird? <laughs> I don't like... know. Like, <laughs> I don't know why it's that, but like I feel like it could be if they if they know their history yeah. if they know world war Two that well then i feel like some there has to be a connection between that there's no way that they're just like oh we just like fetishize women but we also like yeah um read into world war Two. yeah i feel um, like i feel like definitely the guy who fetishized you was like definitely like that has to be like mine is kind of like an open-ended thing because i don't know if he was like it maybe was a coincidence see then there's like that situation where it's like oh maybe it's a coincidence that he like just only dated like asian women no i don't know no 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 no. i don't know i know it's definitely (laughs) fetishization they're like there's no freaking way because literally i had like an ex that like fetishized women asian women and i didn't realize it until maybe like a week after we broke up or something i was like oh god oh my gosh all the people like two of the people you've dated are literally asian um yeah, yeah you basically see like- us as exotic you basically see us as like a sex Ugh. object i i don't know and I, I just that like i kind of regret that like I, I hate myself so much like i literally was like oh my god this is this is it this is why do i date white men i'm never gonna date white men again <laughs> Um, so that's when I stopped. Uh, (laughs) That's when I gave up on the white men in general. I was like, no. But yeah, no, same. I like, (laughs) yeah, no more dating white men for me. I think that did not work work out well for me. Um, but yeah, no, I think like even like the fact that we felt bad about it, like I'm like thinking about it, like I'm having a crisis right now. I'm like regretting like dating this person because I was like, oh. The fact that he dated like more than one eight like one more than like two Asian women is like really concerning to me. But like it's not our fault. Like we can't be taking like that like their um I guess their hypersexualization of Asian women as like our like job, I guess if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, like honestly, like I'm with you girl, like regret that. <laughs> I don't yeah, and in terms of like the culture and stuff, I feel like if you do fetishize an Asian woman, you're basically sort of depersonalizing their experiences and their culture, and now they're seen as sort of targets for your sexual benefit. And I think that's something that like that like as you've mentioned, like that perpetrates rape culture and like 
I don't think a lot of, and also because they're seen as like, oh, so submissive and meek, like you, it's harder for an Asian woman to really speak up about her experiences because we're going to yeah. be shut down because of the model minority myth. There we Fuck go again. <laughs> there we go again. Um, everything yes. sort of relates to one another. I don't know. Yeah. Um, no, it's yeah. wild. Um, yeah, I was going to say we should talk more about the violence that Asian women face because of the fetishization that they, I guess, face from um general general public i guess at this point Mm -hmm. um yeah so in one of the articles i think it was the new york times article that we were reading and we'll put like the links to them somewhere i'm sure we will like yeah like they have like the details thing yeah um but anyway so reading through that they said the fetishization of asian women exists at the intersection of two popular racial myths the first being the model minority myth we already talked about that earlier but basically to kind of like clarify what that is the model minority myth feeds to the fetishization of asian women because it paints asians as the model minority which makes them seem more appealing to the average like citizen and that then opens like the door of acceptance from white supremacists and Mm -hmm. the white supremacists obviously they don't got a good track record they literally racist so yeah then fetishizing asian women feeds to the violence and rape that they face and we saw this in what you brought up about the World War II camps that they had mm-hmm. and how they would be raped. I'm sure none of them willingly wanted to have sex with these white supremacists or, like, the people who would come into these camps. So I feel like that, paired with the model minority myth, the article also brought up the hypersexualization of Asian women and how they're hypersexualized in media and other forms of uh, media in general. Yeah. So with these two things, you further feed to hypersexualizing Asian women and with that you feed to the violence that they face and sorry I'm going on like a tangent here but um I thought I'd bring up the fact that a lot of um white supremacists have actually dated like East Asian women so Mm -hmm. an alt-right and white supremacist love for like uh fetishizing Asian women can lead to their violence and hate crimes against them and one example is uh this guy named Richard Spencer he is a known white supremacist and yeah he has a long, long history of dating Asian women, specifically East Asian women. And in fact, in the article, it also mentions that someone said, like um, a commenter on an alt-right forum said, exclusively dating Asian women is practically a white nationalist rite of passage. Yeah. And that is like really like crazy to think That's about. So I don't know, like crazy. what are your thoughts on, thoughts on this? I, wow. That's shocking. Wait, he said that? White nationalist yeah, rite of passage. Yeah. Just yeah. the fact that, like, he has such a high privilege in which he has, he has the right to say that to, especially an Asian woman that you're dating. Yeah, that's just... it wasn't specifically the Richard Spencer guy, but I'm sure he said shit like that. The quote or whatever was from like a commenter on a white supremacist forum. Mm-hmm. So it was, I'm pretty sure it was someone who's like a white supremacist, probably. But yeah, like, yeah. go on. That's so detrimental to mental health of like Asian women or like Asian youth in general. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't even imagine yeah. dating a dude that like would literally say, like, oh, I have a rite of passage to date you. Like, I have this sort of privilege to date you. Like, no. you're lucky that you're the model minority myth. Like, you're lucky you're this and that and that. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I'm just. I don't know that's that's horrible yeah. and you mentioned it something is. about um how it's seen in like hollywood media 
you can definitely mm-hmm. see that especially we we literally oh my god everything's going back but we were yeah, talking, I saw all of our episodes like yeah. everything's linked <laughs> even with the asian representation um dear asian youth again like with their posts they basically talked about the 1930s and hollywood films in which like asian of course there was like asian representation starting up in the media but there was a way that like their fetishization turned them into being docile and really submissive but with like a really i guess like ascent as as dear asian youth said eccentric sexuality and you could see that prevalent in like anime Wong, Anna Mae Wong's um, movies, where she is seen as like this sort of sex object to white men in the in the movies, and not seen as like a main character, not seen as like something that's like prevalent to an like Asian culture. And I think that's something like that uh, that's really hard for Asian girls to face because they now have to deal with like white men and dealing with like them seen as like objects and I think that's something like that's just harmful to their mental health yeah no I agree and I think like it's kind of like this goes back to like I don't know if it was our third episode where we talked about women of color representation in the media but I feel like like this is why it's so important to have more like women of color in general in films behind and in front of the camera because we can be able to like further portray an image that we want to portray rather than having the oppressors the ones who are running every single industry Mm -hmm. because as you mentioned like if we were to properly represent minority communities and groups we will not have these i mean i can't say this with a hundred or like thousand percent but like we will i mean i think like the fetishization of asian women in general would be a lot more smaller if we had that um if we had more people from our minority group on media. I mean, it's crazy that our all of our episodes are literally linked this way and how, like, properly portraying Asian women in the media and not hypersexualizing them, like, and how hypersexualizing them actually feeds to uh, the fetishization of Asian women and also how this further feeds to the violence that they face. And then the model minority myth, as always, like, it portrays, as you mentioned, Asian women as, like, more... Um, I guess meek and quiet and like wants to not speak out and that kind of helps like I feel like that further feeds this image of other people like um specifically white men like hiding their racism in sexualization Mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of an interesting like um thing to think about because they're using this like model minority myth that Asian women are like more sub to dominate them if that makes sense I don't know if that yeah no I think having a way to like sort of change the narrative on how Asian women are portrayed in the media will be beneficial for the for Asian youth in which they mm-hmm. can feel empowered and like safe around like men I guess, or like anything in general like no, just walking out right, on the streets or like yeah like, yeah mm-hmm. it's just unbelievable that like Asian women specifically and like honestly like every woman of color has this has to do with fetishization um black women especially honestly like mm-hmm. but that's like a whole other topic but focusing on asian women specifically it's crazy that we have to deal with like a whole nother like form of violence based towards us that is linked to like hypersexualization of us yeah and it i don't know it's just like unbelievable to me to think about that So basically, in general, um, white men need to be destroyed. 
um, terminated. Period. I saw that on a TikTok. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was like this dude, and he was talking about like the girls and the gays and how to like exterminate them. And I was like, yes, what yes, as what? we should. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my um, god, I like cannot. Like white men, like. Mm. I don't know. It's just specifically white men. It's everyone against the white man. And, yeah, um, period. Because mm-hmm, in the end, there's sort of, like, the main causes of white supremacy. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> basically, we talked about what our past five episodes sort of related to specifically Asian mm-hmm. women and dealing with fetishization and how that relates to the model minority myth of us being successful and hardworking so we can't speak up on whenever we do get fetishized. We also talked about, um, what else? Oh, Asian representation in the media, but how it's seen as another way of fetishizing Asian women. Um, Mm -hmm. We talked about, like, the white supremacy that goes along with that. We talked about our Mm -hmm. own experiences and how it interlinks with men just having a thing for World War II. (laughs) Yeah, that's, if you're a white man and your name is, like, like fucking Brad or something and you, like, World War Two to be be careful, like yeah, <laughs> to not fetishize women, specifically Asian women. Um, yeah, no, we talked about a lot of stuff, um, and also period fuck the model minority myth. The model minority. <laughs> it's it's feeding to all of this stuff, but I, yeah, I think a way for I can't say for me because I'm not an I'm not specifically like an East Asian woman. I'm not, mm-hmm. I've never had that yeah. many form of um, fetishization, but I th- mm-hmm. think there's a way in which, um, in terms of like having that relationship with a biracial, I think just appreciating the culture and not appropriating yeah. it, not fetishizing it, and exactly. just appreciating that human for who they are, regardless of like yeah. their race and their ethnicity and their culture, like I think that's something that will be okay in terms of like a biracial relationship I don't see any harm in that we're not saying at all like you shouldn't be dating us I think it's just the idea of making us seem as like an object or a sexual desire is when everything like switches and I think that's something that needs to change (laughs) no I think that's a great point and kind of like adding on to that when if you are in like a biracial like I guess relationship kind of like what Jen mentioned see this like person that you're dating as a person and appreciate their culture and like understand their traditions and things like that you don't need to make their entire identity about their race because that's racist period yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but yeah no I I think this is a good episode I'm excited yeah me too okay we're good today we have a really special guest her name is Joyce she's written this amazing book about Asian fetishization and yeah she has a lot to say about it uh, hi thanks for having me here my name is Joyce Keepum Park and I'm an upcoming author publishing my first book this December on the subject matter mm-hmm. of yellow fever so we go over both fetishization of Asian individuals and how sexual racism is a prevalent thing in our community yeah do you have any personal experiences yourself in terms of the yellow fever and age and fetishization because I mentioned before earlier I've had really like not that bad more like sort of I've seen as something like exotic but I've never like had that perpetration of like racism underneath like the blanket of like your fetishization so what are your personal experiences on it right so I I think I first started experiencing 
from maybe when I was 13, middle school. Um, and they got, you know, before I turned into an adult, I heard comments, I heard cat calls on the streets, and they always pertained to being Asian. I was like, okay, that's weird, but I'm going to move on. But the minute I hit college, it became super explicit. Um, for example, I was at a college party once and this one guy came up to me, this tall white guy and was like, Hey, what kind are you? And I actually include this in my book, but he was like, what kind are you? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Please tell me you're asking me what drink I'm drinking right now. But he was like, no, no, no. What kind are you? And I was like, Oh, I'm Korean American. If that's what you're asking. He was like, yeah, dude, Koreans they're the best kind and he just sat there for the next I don't know how many minutes and just talked to me about how he spoke Chinese and how he'd been how he's been to Hong Kong and how he thinks Koreans are great and that was the moment I was like oh god I hate it here (laughs) this is Mm. not okay and so I um it got to the point where friends were like Joyce, we need to get out of here. And I was like, I agree. Because he was whispering to his other friends that he was going to take me home. And I was like, that's not happening. No. And I ended up running out of the party with him chasing behind me. He was and chasing was after you? so terrifying. Like, he was actually um, running? Yeah. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Holy crap. Holy shit. Like, no. Wait. Yep. And that was the first to many experiences Yep. Oh my god. That must, be, must have been so scary. Like, I can't even imagine. Ugh. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just for me, but, you know, a lot of Asian women um, and, you know, female presenting non binary individuals also experience something like this. Yeah. But we sort of internalize it and we pretend like it's nothing. We rationalize it into a joke or some form of humor. And so I took this trauma as a form of, you know, funny event that happened my freshman year of college and I ignored it even though it scarred me and it left remnants of you know throw aggression <laughs> but yeah it was a traumatic experience that I experienced yes is that what like inspired- the second week of college I think is, is that what inspired you to start writing the book like how did that process sort of begin my book process is slightly different Someone through LinkedIn reached out to me, um, and it was this professor from Georgetown. He was like, hey, do you want to write a book? And I was like, sir, you're obviously a scammer. I'm I'm not going to respond to this. Yeah. He was like, no, like I want to schedule a phone call with you. I just started a firm, and we're trying to get young authors and their stories published. And I was like, I am a writer, but you are still so sus. Um, Basically, he had started this entrepreneur company at Georgetown that had published hundreds of books and was expanding it to other universities. And so um, we ended up talking. And at first, I wanted to write about something related to human rights because that's what I'm interested in. And then I realized I can't talk about other people's human rights without really analyzing and um, introspecting my own relationship with being violated as a human being and then and as a woman. Um, And that represented, you know, digging deep into my own processing of what yellow fever means to me and how I've ignored it for the past few years. Yeah. And I know you, like, split your book into, like, three sections and, like, different parts and different categories. Do you want to also explain what that was like, what you included and talked about? 
so my book is split up into three parts. I go into an overview of the history of how fetishization and emasculation came to be. Um, and then I go into the modern implications. So that includes things like pornography, Hollywood influences, sex tourism, mail order brides, alt-right communities, incels, and all that fun stuff. And then I go into, you know, what we can do from here and certain changes that are occurring in our community that can and cannot be um, enlightening in ways. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's really cool how you separated the chapters into something like, okay, here's our history so that we can finally learn about, like, where this sort of stems from. And then we can sort of relate that to, like, the more present thing where like we're now dealing with like Asian women being fetishized and it turns into almost like sex trafficking sex trafficking oh my god I can't speak and human trafficking and then it turns into the modern day like what can we do in order for it to be better and what is your opinion on in terms of like biracial dating and how that how there's a difference between appropriating or fetishizing that person versus um, just actually appreciating their culture because I've always had like confusion on that for sure. Right. So I think things like biracial dating um, are very difficult topics because historically speaking, a lot of these relationships have been rooted in um, stereotypes, in you know fetishes and this exotification of the individual, uh, which has been reflected in you know how Asian men, And white women relationships are much more rare than Asian women and white men relationships. Um, And I think, and I mentioned this multiple times throughout my book, but in terms of sexual racism, it's really important to really introspect whether or not you as an individual are interested in dating or attracted to a person because of who they are as a human being um, before your fantasy of what they are and Mm -hmm what you want them to be so for example if your idea of an individual perpetuates some form of harmful narrative um that you know is extremely harmful to a race a group then most likely that relationship is not okay it's something that's really you know hurtful it's something that can potentially bring much more damage than actual um positive benefits and love to it but if it is a biracial relationship where you know that you, where you are aware that these things are, exist and you are certain for a fact that your attraction to them is not based on these pervasive narratives, then I think it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just it's a huge issue with fetishization that you just erase a person's entire individuality just based on like some stereotypes you know of their community that didn't even come from that it was rooted with like the history and it right like american soldiers coming and like having their bases in like vietnam or like, like south korea and like you know all these women had to go into prostitution like now because of that they're seen as like geisha girls or whatever like that right whole- right you could definitely see that prevalent in um asian and like asian representation in the media where um, we are sort of, most Asians are basically sexualized as prostitutes or an object for the white man, which fuels into white supremacy. You could see that in, like, especially, like, the 1930s films in Hollywood, where um, Asian women were basically sexualized for their, for a man's desires, 
in which they had like a specific like the way they dressed or their fashion or their culture and that sort of uh, I guess appropriates even their own culture because now they're like their um, ethnic clothing is seen as like a sexual desire or their symbols that they do have like such as like the dragon tattoo like they see that as like a sexual object now and I think that's something that's like really harmful to an Asian woman that is especially in America where we are dealt with already racism in general for us but it's just like hard for many Asian women to deal with yeah um and I think that also ties into the idea of you know Asians being the honorary whites once again because media at that time you know um through the Madame Butterfly archetype they Mm -hmm. always portrayed Asian women as sexual objects but at the end of the day it was the white woman who would be next to the white man and the Asian woman would be the object, you know, um, who through very violent ways would be portrayed as the individual either committing suicide, um, dying or being left behind for the white man to leave with the white woman. And I think that signified the role that Asian women are objects in relation to, you know, this concept of white supremacy. It's like that, um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but season two, Friends, like Ross and Rachel, right? And then there's this character. Right. Oh my gosh, yeah. And Rachel's so rude to her. When she, like, initially meets her, she's, like, screaming at her, welcome to our country. And, like, there's so much, like, inferiority in that power dynamic. And I can see how that relates to that trope you're mentioning. That, I completely forgot about that season and, like, the whole Rachel and Ross thing. And I never really realized, yeah. I never realized that Rachel was like that. And I think that what sucks is because it's like so normalized for like white people to say those types of stuff to Asians and that how they sort of submiss and sort of like go back into that. Another right. form of, I guess, the white savior complex that you were mentioning earlier, Joyce, um, I think Diversify Your Narrative also talked about this, but Miss Saigon perfect example of that white savior complex in which she was Leia Salonga the main character was basically like left alone and the the GI basically left the woman in order to portray to be with this white woman in the end and left her extremely heartbroken and extremely like seen as just like an object for her to have a kid like she literally had the kid in the movie and she like killed herself because of it and that shows like um how um, especially like in World War Two, where they had like those bases where um, the women were seen as like these sort of prostitutes and now like white men are supposed to save Asian women in that sort of sense and I think that's something that's like still norm- still horribly no- normalized in today's society where especially like those those experiences that you had and my experiences and Anna's experiences like they all sort of correlate to the history behind it and I think that's really important that you're addressing it in your book especially with you like split it up to like three chapters I think yeah three sections yeah, yeah three sections yeah mm-hmm. yeah and, and like, what's terrifying is that you know what you just mentioned Miss Saigon is it's the exact storyline has been rewritten and reused for hundreds of years like that exact storyline of mm-hmm. the white woman um or the Asian woman being used as an object and being thrown away. And for me, I didn't realize that this storyline was something that reached all the way to, I believe, the 1780s. And this Miss Saigon has been, you know, a super popular Broadway musical. And not a lot of people pointed it out that this was a a, a very racist, you know, very 
objectifying um, storyline that's extremely offensive to women. Instead, everyone was just really, um, you know, obsessed with the idea that we finally had representation in Hollywood or in Broadway. But what does it mean to have representation if it perpetuates a pervasive narrative once again? Like, is that something that we need to give up um, in order to be seen on television? And is that a sacrifice that is fair in any way? And personally, I don't think it is. Yeah, the same way, like, we want to be represented, it also matters how, because, like, people want to, like, conform, like, to those meek, quiet standards of being, like, an Asian woman, right, just so they can be in that sort of in crowd or be accepted, but that's not acceptance, it's just conforming to, like I said, white supremacy, white supremacy, and just wanting to do, just doing what they want to do, and, like, making it easy and not uncomfortable for them, so, yeah, there's definitely more layers to how we should be represented, and just things like that yeah I like the fact that you mentioned how um in terms of like Asian representation like it was for sure Miss Saigon was a good stepping stone in terms of having more Asians like in Broadway but I think that's what's also really notably that we should consider is that musical was created by European men it was created right. by I think um, Claude Michael, I don't even, I can't even pronounce it, and the people that created <laughs> Les Mis or something like, yeah, they, they created Les Mis, I remember, um, and I think that's, like, what's something in terms of Asian representation and in terms of fetishization is what's also prevalent in Mulan as well, um, there's a lot of TikToks going around about how, um, Mulan isn't an accurate representation and how, like, it's a good stepping stone, but only because the cast is predominantly Asian, but not really. But in the end, like the the director, the screenwriters, everything, the whole production is mostly white. And white. I, mm-hmm, right. And that sort of twists that um, racist narrative in which Asians are yet again fetishized and yet again seen as this sort of model minority myth. And yeah, for sure. And I think what's super scary is, you know, in the process of writing this book, I've had many conversations with people um, regarding the subject matter of sexual racism. And the most common response I've gotten in opposition is has been from white men who have contacted me asking me whether or not their attraction to Asian women is racist. Mm-hmm. And I've also had, you know, multiple phone calls with individuals that, you know, directly called me and tried to argue that their fetish for Asian women wasn't harmful in any way. And I think what's scary is that in all these conversations, they completely disregard the emotions and the pain and the trauma of the Asian woman and instead prioritize their own stance in arguing that their fetish isn't harmful. And I think that just shows the position white men have in society and the privilege that they are given um, to completely disregard and consider um, what the woman, what the Asian woman wants as a secondary thing compared to their own desires. Um, And what's scary is, you know, during these conversations, I've tried to tell them that their fetish is extremely problematic, not because, well, exactly because um, it's just problematic in so many ways, but also because they have this idea that Asian American represents this monolithic East Asian um, or Southeast Asian identity and their own stereotypes and fantasies that come with it. But in reality, it encompasses more than, what, 40 identity groups, um, ethnic groups. And I think because of this pervasive 
monolithic narrative that they are so adamant on in perpetuating their fantasy, it's extremely hard to just try to make them realize their own privilege in not only being white, but also being a man and in, in stating what kind of stance and power they usually have over us in society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I definitely, um, in terms of what you said about how, like, they never really, ha- like, gave, I guess they never really empathized with how an Asian woman dealt with these traumas and dealt with these fetishizations. I think that's really important that you did mention that because I think, like, especially white men, like, have they have so much of this privilege, they have so much of this power hold against, like, literally everyone. And that's what they don't realize. And I think it's something like we need to, they need to check their privilege in order for them to realize like this is a problem. This is something that like Asian women face a lot, especially like going out regularly. Like you literally went to a party and you've dealt with it and it's still sort of traumatic to this day. And I think that's important that you brought it up. And I'm really happy that you're writing this book that really addresses these situations and really like, I don't think a lot of, a lot of people don't realize it. Um, that like a lot of Asian women do deal with this and either that or it's just so normalized that it's like pushed under the rug and like no one really cares about it because it's happened so on the regular and so on the daily and I think switching that narrative will really help hopefully but at, at the end of the day like it's something that like every each individual especially a white man needs to check on in terms if they do want to go into this endeavor of dating an Asian woman and I think just checking their privilege and checking and realizing like are we dating this person for who they really are as their personality their character or are we dating them because we like to fantasize this Asian woman and I think that's something like I'm I guess that's why I don't date white men um because <laughs> uh, <laughs> no but um lastly what are your what is your advice for like the asian girls out there that are listening right now and how to deal with like yellow fever and asian fetishization and what do you recommend us to do when we are deal like confronted with this situation firsthand right um so i think the first thing that everyone should do and this doesn't only include you know asian girls but also oh (laughs) continue um but also you know um anyone in the asian american queer community as well i think it's to really first feel let yourself feel what being fetishized or emasculated means and really validate your own pain in regards to that and you know stop internalizing it stop pretending like it's nothing stop pretending like it's a joke because it's okay to hurt and then to really be adamant on your stance um when you're talking to someone with yellow fever it's okay to tell them that you're not okay with them fetishizing you you're not okay with them emasculating you to really be clear that their priority in in perpetuating their fantasy of you isn't as important as your own feelings, as your own, you know, emotions, as your own identity, and to really become more firm in saying no to these tropes constantly perpetuated by society. Like, it's it's extremely difficult to be like, okay, I know this sucks, but it's okay to suck, even though the world is telling me that it's not okay to suck. Like, it's really going to be difficult for you to truly accept 
who you are and to truly accept both the negative ways and the positive ways that society perceives you. But in order to really promote any form of change and for the sake of your mental health and sanity, it's important to become um, more comfortable with your skin in any form or matter. Yeah. And I think that like it's there isn't a clear-cut answer on what people should do because I think it's truly different for every individual, but I really believe validation and introspection of your own identity and being comfortable is what everyone should do in order to, you know, fight against this at least in a personal level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was really good. Um <laughs> Um, I think that's about it. Thank you so much for yeah, joining you. us today. Um, we're so excited to read it. It's coming out in December, you said? Yes, it is. Yeah, so the link will be in our description about your book and what it's about, and we'll make sure to promote it as much as we can, and we're so excited that you are, you're actually, like, really promoting this topic and yeah, something. Yeah, I know. What you're doing is, like, amazing. Like, go off, sis. <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you for yeah like I think it's a a thing that like a lot of Asian girls need to hear um especially young Asian girls that are gonna be dealing with growing up and going to high school and college and finally finding a way to overcome that without having that trauma because we don't want that anymore we want things to change so thank you so much for joining us today yeah thank you for having us this was really great Want more of Dear Asian Girl? You can find us everywhere on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor. We're on everything. Can't get enough? Subscribe, follow, rate, review to get all the updates and the latest on DAG. Let us know your feedback and what we can do to improve. Want to be a part of the podcast or Dear Asian Youth? Go on DearAsianYouth.org and click Contact to be a part of the DAG and Day Team. We'd love to have more hosts. We have our own Instagram. Follow us at Dear Asian Girl to receive updates on all the latest episodes and fun fact about the hosts. We'd love for you to reach out. DAG, Dear Asian Girl, a podcast dedicated to uplift and share Asian girl stories everywhere. For the Asian Girl, by the Asian Girl. Logo by Kristen Huynh, produced and edited by Genesis, and produced on Anchor.